0: Would it be better to have a Bible or a mentor? Slow down, don't think too fast, or let me say that another way, don't respond too quickly. You could say that my question is a trick question, and I guess it is. I don't really mean it to be, but I do want you to think about my puzzle here. My puzzle is intended to provoke you to think first respond second and to discuss thoroughly. Let me go ahead and answer the question. Which do you need for your maturity, a Bible or a mentor? The answer to the question is both, and I want to talk about that in this podcast. Now, obviously, we're going to say the Bible is the most important. I'm not talking about the most important. I'm talking about what you need in order for your progressive sanctification to move along the way that you want it to move along, and the way that all your relationships want it to move along as well, and for God's fame. And so we don't want to think in a silo. We want to think expensively. And when it comes to this idea of progressive sanctification, we need more than the Bible. Hold on. Don't turn me off yet. Give me a listen. I'm having this discussion, or I want you to have the discussion from this podcast because it came up in among our Mastermind team. Our Mastermind team is our all-online discipleship slash counseling course that people can sign up for, and they go through an intensive for two, three, four Or you can cram it into five or six years if you wish. It is self-paced. But nevertheless, this discussion came up about the idea of mentoring one another, discipling one another, and how to do that. And so in this podcast, I want to talk about, well, we know the Bible is important, but what I want to talk about most of all in this podcast is the idea of discipleship the idea of mentoring, specifically in a small group context within your local church. And so I want to do this for our Mastermind students specifically, but I also want to do it for you. And then more importantly, I want to cast a vision for local churches of how to do discipleship well. I think most everybody who listens to this podcast loves God's Word, They have a high view of God's word. They see the essentialness of it for life and godliness and they would never downgrade that in any way, shape, or form. But one of the things that we are weak in doing is coming alongside each other and caring for each other, doing soul care. And so more than downgrading the Bible, which I am not going to do, I have a high view what I want to do is elevate this idea of discipleship. And so I, I kind of have a tongue-in-cheek title for this podcast, Which Do You Need for Your Maturity, a Bible or a Mentor? Now, by the way, that is the title of the article that I'm sharing with you right now on the podcast, on this podcast. I also have a video that is embedded inside of this article, and I want you to read it. I have an infographic as well specifically about how to do small group. And then as always, because we are a come alongside ministry, I want you to jump on our forums and ask whatever questions that you may have because we want to work it out with you. We're not not the people that just, we throw content out there and you're on your own. No, we don't do that. We are a come alongside ministry and we want to, Get up in your business. And so if you will let us, we will get up in your business and we will serve you. But you'll have to get on our forums to ask your question. Which do you need for your maturity? A Bible or a mentor? I've already given you the answer, the obvious answer. You need both. The Bible does not say the Bible alone is all you need to change. The Bible does not suggest that all you need is a discipler a mentor. At different times and in different ways, the Bible makes a case for both of these two good things to be part of a person's overall soul care package. When you look into your soul care care package, what do you see? I hope that what you see is more than a Bible. I hope that what you see is more than a Bible and a whole bunch of books a stack of books. Most Christians, if they care at all, they have a Bible and they have a stack of books. The problem with that, as Philip asked the Ethiopian in In Acts 8, do you understand what you're reading? No, I don't, let somebody guide me. The Ethiopian intuitively knew that he needed a mentor. He needed a discipler. Every Timothy needs a Paul. But the problem with we Christians is that we want to isolate from the community and work on our problems by ourselves. And though books can be good and the Bible is fantastic, obviously, the issue is that it is a passive exercise where we get to control the discipleship and we're not exposed to anyone else. And so we can hide our problems and fix ourselves up as we read our books and our isolation. But that is not a wise way uh, in order to change. You need a community. And so the Bible makes a case for both of these two good things in your soul care package. And so I hope your package is more expansive than a Bible alone or Bible and a stack of books. In fact, the Bible teaches that there are five specific things that will serve unique and practical roles for a person to change effectually. Let me give them to you. The obvious, the first two I think are obvious the Lord will change you. If you want to change, God will change you. God is the grantor of repentance. He is the one that raises us from the dead and brings life into our dead souls. And But he is also the one that perseveres with us and grants us repentance all along the way. And so it would be accurate to say that the Bible changes us, or, or the Lord changes us, rather. And then the second one, obvious one is the Bible changes us, too. I don't have to make a case for those two things. But the Bible also tells us that you must do something to change. You want to change? you got to do something. Obedience is not just passive. Reading the Bible, reading a book, the Lord will change me. I don't need you. The Bible doesn't make such a case. You have to do something. Active Obedience is a response that is vital to you. Number four, other people will change you. In 2 Samuel 12, 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David, to help him to change. We are to stir one another up to loving good deeds, as the Hebrew writer also said. One, the Lord will change you. Two, the Bible will change you. Three, you must do something to change. Four, other people will change you. And then five, situations will change you. Omnipotent God will permit things in our lives to change us. All five of these elements should be part of any person's change schematic, your soul care package. The person who is growing and maturing and changing will be accessing all of these means of grace. The neglect of any one of them will hurt a person's maturation into Christlikeness process. Probably be good for you right now to examine yourself. How well is the Lord changing you? The Bible changing you? You changing you? Other people changing you? How are your situations changing you? Our argument should not be about how one is better than the other, but about how all of them are needful, and each one serves a unique role in the overall transformation of any individual. It is similar to Paul's discussion about the different gifts within the body of Christ. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 12, 12-26. 12, 12-26. All the parts of the body are needed, and it would not be helpful to speak more of one as better or to the neglect of the other. It depends on the need of the moment. It depends on the specific situation a person is going through that determines how we use each component of the change process. There is a time when the Bible should be front and center in a person's life. And there is a time when a person needs to put the Bible down and do the hard work of repenting, active obedience. I do not need the Bible. Long pause. Let me give you the whole sentence. I'm just messing with you. I do not need the Bible to repent if the Bible has already taught me how to repent. Let me give you an example of this. For example, last week I got angry at my blessed, lovely, incomparable wife, Lucia. We call her Saint Lucia. She's an island in the Caribbean. I got angry at her. I do not need the Bible to walk me through what anger is or what was going on in my heart or what I needed to do about my sin. I did not need the Bible. Why? Because the Bible has already informed me about these things. I know what anger is. I knew what was going on in my heart and I knew what I needed to do. In order, Or in response to my sin, I needed to confess my sin to my wife. I needed to seek her forgiveness. At that moment, the most important thing I needed to do was number three in my list of five things. You remember? The Lord will change you. The Bible will change you. You will change you. People will change you. Situations will change you. Number three is I can change me. The Bible has done its job. The Lord was doing His job as the Spirit of God was convicting me. The situation was entirely in play. I was, I was angry at her, and she was providing me an opportunity for me to grow. My call to action during my bout of anger was to repent. Was I going to step up to the plate and do what I needed to do to mature in Christ as well as mature my relationship with my wife? And so let me go back to my question. Not either or, but both and. That is the better response to my question. Which do you need for your maturity? A Bible or a mentor? The best answer is not either this or that, but both this and that. You see, this healthy synchronization between the essentialness of the Bible and a mentor in the New Testament, well, it's a common thing. For example, let me give you a few examples. In Matthew 28, you see this synchronization between the Bible and a mentor. Matthew 28, you know, is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations... Go and make disciples. It's a responsibility on you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's the Bible, teaching them the Bible. You go and make disciples. They need you and God's word. How about Romans 10? But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Those people, individuals who preach what? The Bible, the good news. There's the synchronization of human agency and God's word, as we also have just seen or heard in Matthew 28. How about, I mentioned earlier, Acts 8. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, quote, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, quote, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There's the synchronization, God's word and human agency. Now, if you want to read more examples about the primacy of the human community, mentoring each other, I would encourage you to search out the one another passages in the New Testament. There are over 30 of them. The Bible does not make a case for Bible exclusivity in the sanctification process, but calls for a more comprehensive way to think about sanctification, which requires a healthy biblical view of the Bible. Yes and amen. As well as how we all engage each other—conunion, fellowship, participation with each other—it would not be wise to separate sola scripture from sola mentoring, or the other the other three essential sola elements of the change process: sola Lord, sola personal responsibility. Sola situations. Every Timothy needs a Paul, plus a thorough understanding of the Lord's word. The answer to the question is not either this or that, but both this and that. Now I want to talk about the discipleship process. I want to transition here. And I want to give you a vision of how a local church can come together in a small discipleship community or communities many small groups within a local church where you, you can put the accent mark on this element of, of personal mentoring and discipleship. Personal mentoring, working in cooperation with growing Bible knowledge while in the context of community is an excellent prescription for a person to mature. This perspective that I'm sharing with you is the way that I have led small groups in local churches. I have a high view of the Word of God. I don't, I don't think that anybody would critique that, perhaps. <laughs> There's somebody out there, but I, I think 99% of the people that have read any of my stuff would say I have a high view of the, of the Word of God. But I also have a high view of community. And I see both of them working together in the overall transformation process. And I talked about the other three elements as well. Obviously, the Lord will change you. You have to do something to change. Other people will help you change. Situations will change you. And, of course, the Bible will change you. But in this remainder of this podcast, I want to talk about how you can come together as a group of people where you can blend the Word of God and the human community with the goal of personal and communal transformation now the way that I have done it in small groups that I've led in various local churches, when we have a small group, we break it out or we look at it as far as what we're doing as a small group in four different meetings or four different contexts. I'll give them to you and then I'll, I'll explain each one of them uh, in just a moment. And so when a group of us get together as a small group, we have a vision for four different meeting contexts. There's the corporate meeting, the Sunday morning church meeting. There's the actual small group meeting where we come together as a small group. And then there's the couple meetings where a couple from the group we would meet with individually as couples, couples on couples. Rick and Lucian meeting with another couple. And then the fourth context is personal meetings, meeting with one of the guys privately. So there are corporate meetings, the larger meeting. There's the actual small group meeting. Then there's Rick and Lucian meeting with a couple. And then there's me meeting with one of the guys. All right, so individually. Now, let me break this out to you, uh, taking each one of those. The first one is the corporate meeting. Many local churches have one big church meeting each week. It happens on Sunday morning, usually. This event is a time where everybody in that local body comes together as a larger body to worship the Lord through singing, hearing the word, ministering to each other, enjoying each other. These are specific things that work together to build up the body collectively. This is a beautiful thing, the corporate church meeting on Sunday morning. Typically, this church meeting provides an opportunity for me, for example, to see most of the members of a small group. Especially the men. During this time, you may joke around, you may catch up on your week, possibly talk about something serious, but these are pneumatic opportunities that are not necessarily conducive for deep and transformative conversations due to the hectic pace of the morning. Now, when I say pneumatic opportunities, that means that that you want to be spirit-led. You're asking the Spirit of God to help you to be intentional and that you be sensitive to what's going on in your small group's lives, individual lives, and you will know how you need to interact with each member of your small group. And so you go to this large corporate meeting, not for the purpose of doing in-depth discipleship with anyone, because again, the pace is too frenetic, but you do want to be pneumatic, and so you're looking for these pneumatic opportunities. These brief encounters are redemptive in that you, you do see each other, And it's an opportunity to build with the long-term goal and expectation of having more in-depth and more transformative times later, not necessarily in this corporate meeting. The deeper discussions of life cannot happen consistently or comprehensively. In a large crowd of people with whom you do not do life together regularly. To expect the large corporate church meeting to be a context for more in-depth and transformative conversations could be a setup for disappointment. I think some people pack too much expectation within the Sunday morning meeting. And that's the problem because you just can't do that consistently. You need another place that is more private and slower to talk about the more profound things in our lives. This perspective is why some churches have small group settings. And so that is the corporate meeting. It can be redemptive, can be transformative, but it's a time to get together and just build relationally, even and mostly in superficial ways. And then underneath that, this corporate meeting, you have small group meetings. The groups that I have led meet on Sunday or Wednesday nights throughout the year, almost all the time, one or the other, Sunday or Wednesday night. There's no magic in either one necessarily. We gather to take our relationships deeper than what we could do on Sunday mornings for the reasons that I've already mentioned. These meetings are more isolated, usually in someone's home. They're isolated and more private from the larger corporate body. The nature of these meetings gives us more opportunities to be transparent Our rule in a small group is this. What we say in this room stays in this room. We talk to each other at different times about small group discussions outside of this room, but we do not speak to those outside of our group about what we say in our group. Our small group is a tight-knit group of friends who come together to spur each other on to love and good works. Small group meetings are a time for the pace and the noise of our lives to slow down. It is the pulling away idea that the Lord taught his disciples like in Mark 6 verses 30 and 32. There are times when it is essential to get away from serving others so that you can help yourself. Without a replenishing context in your life, you will quickly deplete your soul. This is a beautiful time to come together in a small group of friends just to serve each other. This kind of context is essential for individuals, couples, and families. It's like a quiet corporate time where you humbly ask others to love you enough to speak into your life. It is self-acknowledgement of self-suspicion. Do you understand that sentence? You are acknowledging that you are suspicious of yourself, thinking that you have it all together. You know that you have your blind spots, and that's why you want to elevate the value of a band of brothers or sisters who are reciprocally caring for each other. That's a small group meeting. And so we have a corporate meeting. We have the small group meeting. There's two more. And again, this is how we have historically led small groups. And that's the couples meetings. Because of our sense of shame, the temptation to be easily embarrassed, as a, as well as a lack of community trust, we have found that adding monthly couples meetings to our small group dynamic is a must. We're not meeting every week as couples, but we meet monthly or depending on the size of your group every six weeks. As you roll everybody in, you see the curse of Adam not only reaches far and wide, but it goes deep too. love, trust, safety do not happen just because you're Christians and you're meeting in a small group. I have found some people to be more jaded about opening up because of past experiences where others have hurt them. And besides, some conversations are not suitable for small group life. They're not suitable for the corporate meeting on Sunday morning, but they're also not suitable for small group life. For example, we do not talk about a couple's sex life in our small group meeting. This discussion is where the couple's sessions, the meeting together, can serve as an essential means of grace for a struggling marriage. It gives them an even safer place, a smaller place where there's just four people involved to talk about things that are important to them. Couples meetings also can be dynamic when all the members of the small group value and participate in them, meaning not just Rick and Lucian meeting with a couple, but couples meeting with couples. Couples sessions are not just for the leader to care for the group but an opportunity for the entire group to meet in small context outside of the small group so they can learn to love and serve each other. Those are our couples meetings. So we have the corporate meeting. We have small group, the actual small group meeting. Then we have couples meetings and then we have private meetings. Now, as you can see, our meetings go from broad to narrow. Our most non-transparent, meetings or the corporate meetings, because those meetings cannot meet the more in-depth sanctification care of the group. Couples' meetings are, I'm sorry, corporate meetings are essential and fantastic for other things, for what they're for. And that's why you don't want to pack too much into what a corporate meeting should be because it can never be what some people want them to be. Even our small group meetings are not enough for us to do sanctification well because of the things that I said earlier, love, trust, safety. The trust and safety issue is a huge deal. And so if you want to do sanctification well, we have always had private meetings. Some of the most effective envisionings in our our small group happens when the individuals in the group are meeting privately. All the members must be pursuing each other for the group to be a success. Each person in the group will have to decide if they are going to own the group. The degree in which each person takes ownership of the group will determine the quality of sanctification that happens in the group. If the couples are meeting together and if the individuals are meeting together, The small group meeting, the actual small group meeting, imagine that these individuals are meeting together and the couples that are meeting together with us and with each other, and then you come together in a small group, then it is dynamic. It is transformational. But if the group is not getting to know each other on the more individual levels, the actual small group meeting may be smaller than the corporate meeting, but it will it'll still be a group of strangers meeting together. And so I'm asking the question, what is better to have, a Bible or a mentor? It is better to have both, plus the other three elements of change in which the Bible speaks. It's like a church with a pro-life emphasis, an adoption ministry, a global outreach, and Bible studies. It's not that one is better, to the exclusion of the others. They all are essential. And when it comes to sanctification, it is better to think and implement broadly rather than narrowly. As you think about your sanctification, your personal sanctification, is there a missing element? Are you mature in the Bible, but weak in transparent relationships, meaning you know a lot, but you're relationally deficient? Do you know what to do? but are unwilling to be personally responsible for changing? Are you lovingly intrusive in the lives of those in your sphere of influence? And then I have one more question here. What do you need to do to access all the means of grace the Lord provides for you and your friends to change? One of the best responses that you could have to this podcast and the article here that I'm sharing with you is to take it to your small group. And you all talk about these five elements of change, the Lord will change you, the Bible will change you, you must do something to change, other people will help you to change, and situations will change you. And then zero in, narrow it down to what are you all doing as a group to help each other change? I have just given you a vision for what your small group could look like as you take a look at how you are interacting with each other in your corporate meetings, and then you you shrink that down as you come together in a slower and smaller context, which can be your small group meeting. And then you shrink it down even more to where couples are meeting with couples, including the leader and his wife meeting with couples, as well as other couples meeting with couples. And then you shrink it down one more time to where individuals are meeting with individuals. I promise you that if you, if you implement all four of these contexts, into your small group dynamic, it can be transformative. And if the entire church is doing this, has this type of vision, it can really do some marvelous things in your local church. The title of this podcast and the article on our website, which do you need for your maturity, a Bible or a mentor? It's not either this or that. It's both this and that. If you want to talk about this, please come to our website, rickthomas.net. You'll find me in cyberspace, in our community forums. You're free to all of our non-supporting members. You are welcome. We want you to come. For those of you who support our ministry, go to our private forums, and we'll meet you there to talk about this wonderful thing that you can have in your local church